The Appendix N Podcast, Episode 8, The King of Elfland's Daughter by Lord Dunsany. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read and discuss the authors that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. In the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax published a list of his favorite fantasy authors, and this list has come to be known simply as Appendix N. Every month on this show, we will read a book and talk about it. We will review the story and talk about how it relates to the game being played at your table. If you would like to be a part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming books. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. This episode, we are reviewing a book by Lord Dunsany. We previously uh, looked at the Book of Wonder. That was our second ever episode of this show. and so since it's been a while, I'm going to um, re- sort of retread uh, the, the biographical information that, that we covered uh, last time. Uh, Lord Dunsany's real name is Edward John Morton Drax Plunkett, 18th Baron of Dunsany. He was, he was a real uh, British nobleman. He was, he was born 1878, about 15 years before uh, the birth of J.R.R. Tolkien, and he died in 1957. Uh, he, was, he was Irish. He was, he was an Irish writer and uh, dramatist. Um, more than 80 books of his work were published, and he was a major influence on J.R.R. Tolkien, H.P. Lovecraft, and Ursula K. Le Guin. He was born to the second oldest title in the Irish peerage, uh, the title being created in 1439, uh, and he lived most of his life in Dunsany Castle, which lies near Tara. Uh, He worked with W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory in his time and received an honorary doctorate from Trinity College, and he was a chess and pistol shooting champion. Uh, And he traveled and hunted extensively, which uh, the, the latter... Uh, we, we will see the influence of in this story. Uh, he died in Dublin after an attack of appendicitis. Uh, he began writing in the late 1890s, and he, uh, quote, burst onto the publishing scene uh, with a book called The Gods of Pagana in 1905. Um, his first stories were set in an invented world with its own gods, history, and geography. This story... The King of Elfland's Daughter was published in 1924 and is the inspiration for Neil Gaiman's film Stardust. And with me today to talk about The King of Elfland's Daughter is returning to the show is Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Have you ever seen Stardust? I have. Actually, I watched it just recently because it's uh, on Netflix now. And, and you, can, you can see the similarities. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I was kind of struck by just how how directly similar to 
stardust it was. Almost, you could say you were starstruck. You could say that if you wanted to, and I'm not going to stop you. You do what you want to, Jeff. It's it's my show. All right. All right. So, wow. Um, so I, I actually read most of the book today, uh, and it's it's not a very long book, but um, wow, it's it's certainly it's certainly uh, a a break from uh, the the pulp adventure stories that we've been doing on this show. Uh, similar to the the Book of Wonder, uh, Dunsany's style is 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 very dreamy, almost poetic, and uh, you and I were, were just talking about this before the show, Jeff. But the 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 novel itself has very little 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 action. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, compare it to what we had been uh, reading together last time we spoke with the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, Lucidar. Uh, the books by Edgar Rice Burroughs; those were whatever else you can say about them. They were really they're a quick read. Mm-hmm. Right? I could sit and uh, I'm, I'm looking at the Project Gutenberg uh, versions of it is how I'm reading these and I could just you read it, uh, sit down, read pretty quickly. It was a, they're, they're a fast read. When I tried to do that with uh, The King of Elfland's Daughter, I would find that I had been staring at a paragraph for like five minutes without actually moving forward with it. Or I had just read three pages and had no idea what had happened. And then I would go back and read it again and discover that the reason that I had no idea what had happened was that nothing had happened. Pretty much. And, and also his, his sort of wandering poetic style leaves you, you're, you're, you're sort of unsure what the, what the, um, uh, um, what, what the, what, what the subject of a, of a sentence is or, or, or what the pronouns are, are referring to. And you have to go, go back yeah, what, what it is that you should be paying attention to. Right. And I, I feel like, actually, we kind of have done the book a disservice by reading it in preparation for talking about it on this podcast. Because if I was just sitting down to read The King of Elfland's Daughter for fun, the fact that the, the, the prose just kind of wandered all over the place and washed over me, I feel like that wouldn't bother me so much. But I was trying to, to do it like a close read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be better equipped to talk about it. And uh, so I feel like I'm, I maybe missed the forest for the trees to a certain extent. Now, now you just, you just finished doing a, a parody of Le Mort d'Arthur by, um, uh, Sir Thomas Mallory. Sir, Ta- Sir Thomas Mallory. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's not quite a parody. It's more a, I guess parody is as close to, uh, word for it as anything. It's a Dionysian imitado, uh, according to Wikipedia. Okay. But that's neither here nor there. Um, now, how, how old is Mallory's work, and, and, and how, how would... Was, was, is, is, the, is that a poem? It is prose. It was written in the 15th century. So, like, how would, how would that compare? Because I've, I've never read it. So oh, it's it's seriously a night and day difference, um, but that's because the well, what you may be thinking of is like the 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 uh, Tennyson and and later romantic tellings of the King Arthur story. What Mallory did was 
was the opposite of that. It was extremely spare. There was, you know, bullet, basically bullet points of plot. Um, and often those plots were lovingly detailed uh, jousting matches, which are incredibly boring. Um, okay. But, so- if, but if this were, if the King of Elfland's Daughter were a story in La Morte d'Arthur, and it, it could almost be, um, I think, then it would be about a half a page long. Interesting. Okay, so let, let's uh, let's get to the story then. So uh, there, there's really basically three characters, three three major characters, and and then like a a, a host of of minor characters in in the story. We 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 have the hero Alveric, uh, who goes to Elfland to. Uh, win the hand of the King of Elfland's daughter, uh, whose name I'm going to mispronounce because it's it's uh, Lirizel. Le- yeah, something like that. Lirizel. I had looked up a pronunciation guide at one point because I wanted to be equipped for this, but that was quite a while ago, and I don't know what happened to it. Do, 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 do. I also don't have it in front of me. Uh, Lirizel. Lirizel. Yes. And he brings her back to Earl, which is which is the village that he is prince of, uh, and marries her, and they have a son named uh, Ryan. And and most of the book is about these these three characters who who are who are separate from most of the book. They're just sort of wandering around, trying to find each other, really. Yeah. Well, there's the beginning of the book where a bunch of stuff happens. And then there's the end of the book where a fair amount of stuff happens. And then there's this long middle portion where almost nothing happens. Um, Because before too long in the... I mean, you, you hear the King of Elfland's daughter, you think this is going to be a story about how the prince goes into Elfland and wins the elven princess mm-hmm. and that's what the plot is going to be about and that gets knocked out of the way really fast really fast yeah so I, let's 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 go over the stuff that 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 happens in the beginning and and the end and then then we'll sort of bring it around and talk about um elfland and 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 how it's sort of uh and you know and the and and the magic and how 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 that's all all portrayed so the the is it is it a king? I, I'm I'm not sure if 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 it's a king, but but the king of this of this village earl is is approached by his parliament, parliament and some guys right guys live in the town and it, it, they're they're they referred to as the parliament of earl, and they say uh, we're bored being ruled by a regular mundane human ruler. We want a magic lord. A magic lord will bring in, um, I don't think they use the word tourism, but it's kind of implicit in what they say, how it will. Which kind of sounds it. to me like, like the title of a, of a Yowie novel, The Magic Lord. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know if this is sort of like political commentary, but uh, uh, Dunsany being, being, a, being a, a, a British nobleman sort of uh, rankles at, at the idea that, that these commoners would be telling uh, the King of Earl what to do and, and, and he has to do it. Um, 
so the the King of Earl sends for his his son Alvric. The king, by the way, never gets a name. I don't I don't think. No, he's pretty much just in this one scene. Right. Uh, and he he gives his son his, his own sword, but uh, his sword's not good enough for Alvaric. Uh, Alvaric uh, is friends with a witch uh, by the name of Zerundarel. Zerundarel? Yes. Say, say say what you will about about uh, uh, Dunsany, but he he comes up with the most um, uh, amazing names. I I, I I like the name Zerundarel. Zerundarel is a pretty awesome name. I'm kind of surprised that it's not something that has been, you know, reused. In... I, I'm sure it's the name of a of a metal band somewhere. Yeah, I'm just surprised there's not like a uh, a sword of Zerundiel in the Dungeon Master's Guide or Legends and Lore or what have you. Yeah, but so she lives on on a hill, uh, and the hill being closer to the sky, that's where lightning goes when it comes down, right? Mm-hmm. So, so she digs some lightning out of her garden, and she enchants a sword, uh, a, a, a different sword, so that when Alvaric goes to Elfland, he's, he's carrying two swords. He's carrying his, his father's sword, which is, which is boring, and he's carrying the magic sword. Yeah, the magic sword of uh, meteoric iron. Yes. So, like, here we have, like, like a whole bunch of D&D tropes, because, right, it's, it's made of star metal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a magic sword. Right, it's crafted by a witch, and the witch crafts it for the hero for no particular reason. Um, well, I, I think she's, they're, they're, they're like friends. Yeah, but they're, they're not, well, they're not friends for any particular reason. I didn't get the impression. I got the impression that like everyone in town was scared of her because she is a witch, and and Alvaric was the only person to like stop and talk with her. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I feel like I'm not communicating what I'm trying to say very well, but it's not important. Let's move on. Oh, okay. Then we will. Um, so Alvaric goes to Elfland, and um, he he travels through a a magic forest and and kind of like uh, the old forest from Lord of the Rings, uh, the trees just start crowding in in on him, and he hacks them with his magic sword and he just has to sort of nick them, and the magic sword makes the enchanted trees regular trees. Like uh, I, he's basically cutting a swath of mundane world into fairyland like he's he's cutting into it yeah i think i think dunsany says like he he cuts the romance from them uh which seems kind of terrible really um and and he he then arrives at at the castle of uh uh the 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 elf king uh and his his daughter is there with her three guardians whom alvaric slays in 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 a melee combat yeah, very a very dandyish sort of thing so far mm-hmm. i mean i know not very dandyish but reasonably dandyish and then up. and then he he takes uh Lirazel back to earl where he finds that 10 years have passed and his his father has has died interestingly i thought this was interesting at least that when he gets back from Elfland, he discovers that he's 10 years older uh he has aged while uh, while departed, and uh, he he marries uh, Lirazel, 
Uh, and, and, and this is sort of where, where the first conflict with uh, the, the, the real world comes in because they're, they're married by the freer, which I, I guess is, is some sort of archaic word for, for friar or, or, or something. I, I, I don't, this is what really confused me actually about this because at this point I was unsure whether Earl was taking place in, 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 in England or whether it was taking place in a fantasy world that was very, very similar to England, mm-hmm. but where they didn't have Christianity. Instead, they had some kind of bell worship. Well, he, he mentions Christianity directly several times in the, in the novel. He spells it weird, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's just, again, you know, our, our archaic British spelling versus modern American English. But um, so they're they're married by this by this freer, uh, who sort of looks sideways at at Lirazel and and Dunsany sort of says he 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 looks at her the way he he would have looked at a a mermaid who had renounced the sea. Yeah, he looks through all of his ritual books and he can't find a marriage ceremony appropriate for marrying a prince to a. Um, an elf, but he does have a marriage ceremony for marrying a regular guy to a mermaid who has renounced the sea, and so he uses that because it's the closest thing he can find. Right, but he he still doesn't quite approve of anything magical or anything that's sort of outside his beliefs, which we're we're meant to believe is is the Christian Bible. Uh and and he sort of sticks his head in at several points in the novel and just sort of, you know, sc- scowlingly disapproves yeah. of everything that's going on. He's not a fan of anything magical that's going on. No. Um, and eventually they so uh, and, and then then eventually Lirazel and and Alvaric have a have a child, whom they eventually name uh, Orion after after the constellation. And because Lirazel is, uh, she's enchanted with the mortal world. Um, I feel like this is something that's that's worth pointing out, is that when Alviric comes and carries her off to, uh, to the mortal world, he's not abducting her. He just shows up and says, hey, want to see a place where instead of this uh, light just suffusing the air from no particular source the sun comes up and then the sun goes down and there are stars at night. And she's like, stars, that sounds awesome. Let's go. Uh, and she's just amazed. She's enchanted by the fact that things grow and age in the real world. She never gets used to that. Yeah. She's, she's sort of, there's, there's, there's things that, that she likes about, about earth, but she never quite uh, fits in. Yeah, she does, she doesn't get used to it. She's she's never able to to make Earl's ways her her ways, and uh, the villagers, being sort of your typical superstitious uh, peasants, sort of just turn their nose up at her because she she says odd things and she worships stars instead of you know God or whatever. Um, and so there's there's this there's this uh, disconnect, and she grows more and more. Uh, distant, um, especially as Alvaric tries to sort of force her to 
uh, be be more human. Uh, you know, say say the right prayers and not pray to the stars. Uh, and she is eventually visited by a a troll, who in 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 this book trolls are little brown people. They're they're about halfling size, I guess. Yeah, give or take. They're they're not big and monstrous. They're they're small brown people. Uh, he he. She's visited by a a troll bringing a message from her her father, that basically says please come back. Uh, and she she avoids opening it for a while, but at last she can. She really just figures out she doesn't fit here any any longer. And it, it's this really sort of very dramatic scene where she sort of blows away on the wind, just as sort as as autumn sweeps into into Earl with its with its cold weather and its you know you know leaves blowing everywhere. Yeah, she and Elviric have a fight because he comes across her praying to the stars. And he's like, you don't pray to the stars, you go to the church and you pray to the bell. And she's like, the bell is not nearly as interesting as the stars. I'm praying to something, isn't that enough? And he's like, no, it's not. And she's like, well, that's it, I'm just going home to daddy. Uh, I think, I think she, she tries to pray to the reflection of the stars in a, in a lake. That's right, yes. Like, she, she, she tries to compromise, but even, even that's not, not, not good enough. And so um, Orion grows up, and uh, Alverick Alverick sort of like abandons his son to go search for his missing wife. Yeah, as soon as he he realizes that Lirazel is gone almost immediately, and he realizes that she's gone back to Elfland, and he wants to to get her back. Um, so he just immediately sets off for Elfland, and then he can't get in. Um, the king of Elfland has has detected his magic iron sword, and as the magic iron sword approaches, the king of Elfland is pulling Elfland away. So, is the is the sword made of made of iron? I thought it was, it was made of star metal or something. Meteoric iron, star metal. Okay. This this is this is maybe the inspiration for the for the for Fey in. Dungeons and Dragons being sort of weak against cold cold iron, but I, that that also sort of sort of goes back to actual English folklore, I think. Yeah the the cold iron thing is a cold iron is really only a term that ever showed up in like a Richard Kipling poem. Okay, that's which has yeah, which it, that's cold iron is not a is not like a a term of folkloric art um, before that. And somehow it ends up being this thing that it's there's this special kind of metal that well, I I know in elves in, like in some folklore elves and 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 fairies and things don't like iron yeah don't like iron of any kind and okay. and, and I guess for for D and D they had to differentiate special iron from just regular iron because and, and and this could this could very well be the inspiration for that because like in the folklore. As, as far as I know, there may be a story that's different from this, but in the folklore, if you have like an iron nail in your pocket, you're safe from the fairies. Yeah, they won't they won't come close to you because because they hate metal that much. And and that just that doesn't work in D anD D because you have to make things challenging. Yeah, right. So, um, so so Alvaric goes on on a quest to try and find uh, Elfland, and 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 Elfland has sort of been withdrawn from the mortal world, kind of like 
like the tides. Um, yeah, very much like the tides. And, and first he, he just sort of marches off on his own and he's in this wilderness full of rocks and he realizes there's no way he can do it on his own. So he, he comes back to Earl and he sort of gets, gets a posse of people who are kind of crazy. Yeah, sane people are not going to find Elfland, he figures. So he recruits a bunch of nut jobs. Right. And he figures, well, if, if I just march off to the north, I can I can come around and uh, find you know sneak up on Elflin from behind I guess this is I don't really know what his plan is. Yeah, it's kind of weird that he goes off to the north because right. it's established that Elfland is in the east, which which surprises me because I was until it it was explicitly stated that Elfland was in the east. I was imagining it as being in the west, um, just that Valar is in the west. Mm-hmm. The sunset countries and and so forth. You know, the setting sun west is where I thought Elfland would be, but in fact, it's in the east. And then to find Elfland, he goes north, and I really don't know what to make of that. Which which sort of makes me wonder if if this is the the, the British Isles or if this is taking place in in Europe because he he marches north for like ten years. And you're eventually going to hit water if you do that in Ireland. Yes. Um. So, but but anyways, back back in in Earl, uh, Orion grows to be a uh, not an adult, but a, a, a teenager. He, yeah. he 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 grows to be fourteen, and uh, like his namesake, he just loves hunting. Uh, and and you can you can sort of tell that this book is is written by an an actual hunter, uh, because. He, you know, there there is nothing you know wicked or wrong about stalking animals and killing them, and and displaying their their heads on a on a wall. Yeah, there's also he's also very matter of fact about what seems to my coddled 21st century uh, vision to be just some extreme inhumanity and, uh, and cruelty to the uh, to the hunting dogs. He talks all the time about uh, whipping them. Yes, which I'm. Sure, that's how that was done, or is potentially is still done in places, but that's not something that I ever um, hear about or that you see the artistic depictions of. Well, it, it it doesn't seem like like he whips them maliciously; like he just he just gives them give them a life. It keeps them, equips them to keep them back from the from the unicorn when he's dealing with it. Equips them to keep them going the right direction. Right. So eventually, uh, Orion manages to find a unicorn that that has come over the border from Elfland which has come back since 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 Alveric is 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 gone it's it's safe for Elfland to uh, return to the borders of of, of Earl and uh, a bunch of unicorns just sort of wander over and you know in in contrast to Harry Potter for example uh Orion kills about three of these things over the course of the novel, and this is seen as great and wonderful. He just he just cuts off its head and brings back its its, its horn, and uh, the the first horn he recovers eventually makes its way to uh, one of the popes. Yeah, which was the first, uh, which was really the only only sign that I, it was certainly taking place on Earth. Um, and this it, is this is actually brought up sort of sort of satirically. Uh, a, a density... You're probably you make some people some people are going to be reading this and be like, well, when did this happen? Where did this happen? I need to I need it tied to the historical record somehow. Well, here this particular unicorn horn was eventually gilded and given to the Pope as a gift. 
uh, and he gives us a, a, a date, 1530, so we know that this story happens before 1530. Right. Yeah. It, could, it could happen in 1530 BC, for all we know, but it happens before 1530. Yeah, which I think is um, may, that may tie into the extremely vague descriptions of religion because this is it's not a particular it's not necessarily a a christian land earl there's a religion of some kind but mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be christianity so um orion is hunting unicorns while while alveric is away searching for his lost wife uh and uh eventually what happens is the the same troll um Lururu or something. Yeah, he just kind of wanders back out. Right, uh, and the the troll that that was the messenger before just, just sort of wanders back into the mortal world and sort of makes friends with with uh, Alveric, and uh, I'm not Alveric with uh, Orion. Yeah, um, Orion, and Orion's having trouble controlling his his dogs near the border of. Elfland, and he could really use some help, and he really can't get any of the superstitious villagers to, to help him. So he just figures, well, having a having a troll for an, an assistant would be would be great. And he actually manages to get a, a, a whole bunch of trolls, one one for each each dog, to, to keep the dogs from just darting over the border into into Elfland, where they'd be presumably lost forever. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that. Uh, Orion meets Lurulu, and they have this conversation. Orion convinces him to um, help him out with the hunting, and Lurulu decides, you know, I'm going to go get other trolls. So he goes back into Elfland and talks to the other trolls, and then Lurulu and a bunch of trolls come out of Elfland. And from Lurulu's perspective, to the extent that any time took place you know that's that was the work of an hour um and for orion it was about a year pretty much um and and eventually they they even get uh will-o'-wisps um yeah the uh, the people of the marsh who were who were pretty clearly um wisps right uh the 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 troll actually goes to to the marsh and and tricks the wisps into into, into following him back to back to land and so Orion has the help of both trolls and will-o'-wisps uh, hunting these these unicorns, uh, and the the villagers. The, well, the, yeah. Suddenly they have all of these trolls and will-o'-wisps and unicorns, and all they ever wanted was just one magic lord. Right. So the the parliament doesn't really know what to do. I mean, their their, their whole goal it, it seems is for Earl to become famous. And, and that's about it. They don't really have any plan beyond that, I guess. It doesn't, yeah, they don't seem to have, have had any particular expectation of what having a magic lord would mean, what that would look like. I don't think that at any point any of them says it wasn't supposed to be like this, it was supposed to be like something else. Um, they just seem perturbed by the, by the unexpected troll invasion. Right. So I, I, they're they're not comfortable with it. They don't have expectations that are being dashed. They're just baffled. 
So I, I, I think if, if there's any moral to this to this whole story, it's that no one really knows what they want. The 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 Parliament doesn't know what what they want. People in in Elfland want to come to Earth. People from Earth want to go, want to go to Elfland, and and once they're where they are, they they want to go back to the place where they where they where they came from. Uh, which which brings us to the end of the novel. Uh, uh, eventually, uh, Lyrazel sort of gets tired of her ageless existence, sitting on the lap of her father again. And, and she longs to see her son and her husband. And she says, Daddy, Daddy, please, can you use your magic and make something something happen? And eventually, uh, the, the king of Elfland, who also never gets a name, uh, uses the, the last of his most powerful runes, which he's, he's used uh, two of them previously in the, in the book. And now he's using the third and, and final one to sort of bring Elfland to Earl. Uh, just as Alvaric is sort of coming back from his from his quest, you know, de- yeah. mostly defeated at this point. So what, Alvaric's quest, I think, is is uh, kind of interesting because he and the crazy people go off and they wander around for a long time without any success, mm-hmm. and then he just sort of bumps into uh, the witch. Well, he again. For, first he bumps into a into a random wizard. Who, who who tells him he can't go to Elfland as long as he's carrying his magic sword, and he's kind of like, well, I don't want to go to Elfland without my magic sword because things there might might kill me. Yeah, so he just rejects the wizard's advice. Right, and 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 then he meets uh, Zerundarel again, which means he must be near Earl. Yeah, well, what when what happens next happens, it doesn't take him long to get back to Earl. Right, so. And, and she kind of talks sense into him and says, "You might as well throw the sword away." No, she gives him a. She gives him two magic stones. Right. Um, which I, I think these are actually magic items in D anD. d She sort of gives him a stone that can wipe away the magic from the sword. And, and she then, gives him another one that will restore it. And she warns him, "Don't let the stones touch." And these these really sound like D and D magic items, right? Yeah, a, a, this, a, a yeah, stone yeah. that can erase the magic properties from a, from any magic item. Yeah, but then you rub it with the other stone, and the other stone restores it. And and don't let them touch because it'll take you to the plane of negative energy or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, like explode. don't don't put the don't put Gith the portable comes, hole inside the swinging out. What's that? Yeah, Gith Yankee just come uh, come boiling out at that point. Absolutely. I think I think Lord Dunsany uh, invented the the Gith Yankee. In fact, um, oh really? That's that's not true at all. No, ah, okay. It's, it's I thought true. you were maybe referring to something else. No, it was, they. Anyways, um, so but but so at this point, Alviric has a plan, right? He's got the the uh, the iron sword. He's going to uh, the the star metal sword. He's going to remove its enchantment. He's going to get into Elfland. He's going to put the enchantment back on, and then he's going to go confront Lyrazel. Right. Um, or, so right. Yeah, so step one in that plan is to remove the enchantment on the star metal sword. And he does that. And then very shortly after that, they find Elfland. And then his posse of crazy people actually see Elfland. And they're like, okay, we're crazy, but we're not this crazy. We're going home now. Well, I think and, what, what happens is there's, they're sort of jealous that, that Alvaric actually wants to go to Elfland and, and isn't satisfied with their company. Because uh, what like one is supposed to be moonstruck, uh, moonstruck, and the other is sort of like like a prophet, 
or something, and, and they keep saying, well, isn't the moon good enough for you? Isn't, isn't my prophecies good enough for you? Mm-hmm. There was a shepherd who got bored and quit, and a guy whose girlfriend broke up with him, and so he was really despondent and was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to Elfland. Right, he, 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 eventually, he, he eventually gave up and quit. He, he sets off with, with five people, and, and, and three of the five people turn out to be just normal people who were young and just wanted to wander around, and they eventually okay. get bored and come to their senses and, and go home. But the two that he's stuck with are actually crazy. The legit crazy. crazy people, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and they're like, we don't, want, we don't want our friend to leave us. We're, we're going to keep him with us forever. Mm-hmm. He tries to fight them off with his star metal sword, but he just removed the enchantment from the star metal sword, so it's, it's pretty much useless. Yeah, they just the kind of overpower him and, and like yeah. take the sword away from him and just sort of keep him as their friend prisoner. They march him back to Earl. Right. And like he, he even tries to go to ordinary people and say, like, I'm I'm these crazy people have basically kidnapped me. Can you can you help me? And and they pretend to be normal whenever he, he shows them to people. Like, we're just three travelers. We don't mm-hmm. want no trouble. Yeah, but in that in that sequence where he's in, uh, he's at the edge of Elfland. He's getting ready to go in, and then the uh, he's he's grabbed by the crazy people. He shouts uh, into Elfland. He shouts for Lirazel, and then he blows his horn because he doesn't know if his voice will carry that far. Right. And Lirazel hears his horn in Elfland, and that's what spurs her to go to her father and demand that he speak his final rune. So, so the book the book ends with everybody getting back together, and I guess the village of Earl is sucked into Elfland forever, uh, except for uh, the Freer's house, uh, where yeah. he's just happily worshiping his his bell. Yeah, he makes a little uh, pool of non chaos uh, in the middle of all the chaos, and that's where it's it's normal world there. He gets to uh, to grow flowers and have day and night and so forth. And and that's that's basically the end the end of of the story. Yeah, and yeah, you know, we the way we've gone over it, it sounds like a pretty straightforward narrative, um, but the presentation is not nearly that straightforward. There's there's just paragraph upon paragraph of Dunsany um, pontificating on just like the, the the majesty and and the beauty of of, of nature both bo- both big things and and small things he, he talks about day and night uh, you know morning twilight but he also talks about you know uh, cobwebs and this the 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 stillness of, of the forest and it, it seems like he's really in in love with both magic and and fantasy and, yeah. and and the quiet, beautiful things of our ordinary mundane world. There's a lot of uh, a lot of that. There's this long sequence where Luralu the troll is uh, coming into Earl from Elfland, mm-hmm. and you know we he, we we see Earl through Luralu's eyes, and he's entranced by all of these uh, all of these conventional things. He meets a little child and tries to talk it into going back to Elfland with him. And the child is like, no, I don't want to do that. And Thurlu is like, come on, it's, it's pretty great. And the child is like, no, yeah, I, my, my mother has, uh, 
has made donuts, so I'm going to go eat donuts. Yeah, I like that. I think I think it's a it's a it's a it's a jam roll actually. Jam roll. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's and, and then and then later when he he comes back for the for the second time, he he spends an entire day in in the loft above the stables with some pigeons, just sort of watching the pigeons come and go, you know, watching people go by with their with their horses, watching watching shadows move. Yeah, shadows move. Cobwebs cobwebs grow. It's um it's a cavalcade of wonder. Whereas, which, which is really just yeah, it's a it's a matter of perspective. Whereas, whereas as Elfland seems almost almost boring. It's I mean it's it's full of unending majesty and 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 wonder and and certainly Lord Dunsany is is as ecstatic about about Elfland as he is about about Earth. But mm-hmm. at, at least at least from from my perspective, nothing nothing happens there. Yeah, El- Elfland is like a painting. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's unchanging. And that really, it makes one wonder how there can be like cause and effect in Elfland because things have to happen in order, which means a certain amount of time has to take place. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a bit where Dunsany says, he addresses that particular concern by saying, don't worry about it. Basically. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, it's it's it sort of runs counter to uh, what what we understand about the very very nature of of beauty because beauty in and of itself is temp temporal. You know, flowers are are beautiful because we know at some point they 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 will they will wilt. I mean, it's it's. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you look up at the the stars, the stars can be beautiful, and they're not going anywhere. The transience but, is not necessary to beauty. But but day will eventually come. That's true. I think I think at, at least yeah. Uh I don't I don't want to get too much into philo- into philosophy here that I don't really understand, but it's it's my understanding that that in in order to to be beautiful to the human senses there there has to be some some sadness and and some some transience also uh in in inherent with it. Um, and, and, and I, I guess Elfland sort of, sort of takes, you know, it, El, Elfland is the place where you can have beautiful things forever. They don't ever go away. Uh, the, 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 the flowers will never wilt and, and, and die. Uh, beautiful young people will, will never grow, grow old. Winter never comes. Yeah, but there is... There is even in Elfland. There's tragedy because there's the story of Lirazel's mother. Yes, uh, Lirazel's mother was actually well. She, well, she was actually a mortal. Yeah, which Dunsany tells the story kind of quickly and as an aside, but it, I think it it really is like hugely important to to whatever the the point of the book is. Is that uh, the king of Elfland is. You know, he's opposed to interacting with the mortal world, but the reason he's opposed to interacting with the mortal world is that he fell in love with the mortal and she um, was in Elfland. She would go back to visit the world that we know, and uh, they had Lirazel, the daughter, who is, I guess, half-human. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, her mother eventually grew old and died, and that that tragedy is why the king of Elfland is so so anti the world 
which which kind of to me sort of mirrors the 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 leather worker that that Alverick meets a couple times near the near the border of of Elfland. Yeah, the guy who just refuses to admit that there's such a direction as east. Right, and we're, we're never told exactly why, but uh, we can we can assume that he he understands the 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 danger of losing yourself to all that all that beauty you would you would never come back to the real world you would you yeah. would ne- you would never want to yeah the implication is that elfland did something bad to him or he did something bad as a result of elfland is how is how i interpreted that anyway because he just seems so firm in his refusal to to acknowledge it and we 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 also know that that elfland is separate from uh heaven um which is is sort of uh i i think an an inspiration for um the the relationship between elves and men in lord of the rings whenever whenever there's 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 romance between elves and men in lord of the rings um there's inevitably the tragic element to it right that one one or the other is is going to be separated from their their people and and they're not going to meet again even in the the afterlife. Yeah, the halls of Mandos. Right. Or where or wherever men go. Well, men, men oh, well, I mean Tolkien was was a Catholic. Men men go to go to heaven. It's it's never quite stated, but I, yeah, I'm well, pretty yeah, sure I mean, that that's that's the the implication. But Christ had never come to Middle Earth, so the elves had no idea about it. Right. As but, far as they knew, men just died, and then there were no more men, or that right. that band was gone. Middle Middle Earth is sort of a a, a, a pre Christian Earth, whereas yeah. Dunsany states quite plainly right right here that heaven heaven does exist. It, it's another realm, uh, and but they they have no communication with with Elflin. They don't send em, ambassadors. Uh, I I think he says, uh, and the only time we're directly told about uh, events in heaven is is when. Um, uh, the the elf king I think is is making a whole bunch of music happen and it's it's not heard on earth but it's 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 heard in in heaven and the the angels are not allowed to 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 be jealous <laughs> which which you know kind of kind of illustrates once again that that Dunsany seems to be very very conflicted as to where where does he want to lay his his allegiance because he he he's like he doesn't seem to be to condemn anybody even even the even the 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 freer lives happily ever ever after in his yeah, the his... freer the freer is probably the closest thing to a villain that the story has if if you look at it from like a conventional standpoint um because he's symbolic of the the religion which is the particular thing that drove the wedge between uh, the Alviric and Lyrazil. And the Freer is, is pretty much explicitly not a bad guy. He's not interested in Elfland, but that doesn't make him a bad guy. Right. And he, he, just, he just has his, his beliefs and his ways, and he wants to stick to them. Yeah, uh, I mean, so does the King of Elfland. The King of Elfland has his beliefs and his ways, and he wants to stick to them. Mm-hmm. And you know, can can the two of them coexist? Apparently, that's Appar- apparently so. That's that's what we're left with. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, or not. Either way, that's the moral of the story. Yeah, I I, I guess. Um, 
so but yeah so so there i i think is there anything more to dis, to discuss we've we've talked about uh, uh the plot we've we've talked about the 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 pros and 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 the magic um do, do you have any final thoughts about about this this book and 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 how you would use it uh in your in your dungeons and dragons game so you may remember how when we were talking about Pellucidar, one thing that really struck me about Pellucidar was that you have the surface world and then there's this other place, the place where the adventures happen. Yes. Um, and there's a, there's a confused temporal relationship between the two, yes. which just, I think, is meant to, to underscore uh, or to really underline the fact that they're two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And here you have that in that exact same setup uh, in a, a very literal, um, direct kind of way. Uh, but Fairyland, uh, Elfland, that is not where adventures happen. Um, because what Alviric does when he goes into Elfland, I'm not sure that it... It, it qualifies in a, as an adventure by like Sir Thomas Mallory standards. It's a... It's a it's a nightly strange adventure, but it's not the the important thing. You know, the important thing is the is the mixed marriage between uh, Alviric and Lirazel. Right, Alviric's uh, adventures in in in, in Elfland is as fantastic as they are, are sort of kind of over and done with very very quickly without really much challenge. Yeah. So what I think is is interesting about that is. Just the fact that it's another perspective on the on the two worlds thing. I feel like that that having two worlds is something that Dungeons and Dragons has never really uh, embraced. Because you have you know you have the outer planes, you have the the inner planes, you have the Feywild and the Shadowfell and the Abyss and so on. But um, those are all presented as kind of being within the same cosmos, right? Time works the same everywhere, right? You, a minute in the shadow fell is a minute in the elemental plane of fire. Mm, I, I'm not so sure that that's entirely true in, in older editions. I think, I think older editions, uh, the planes were a lot stranger. Uh, yeah. and, and, and not all of them were necessarily places that you wanted to go to. Uh, but, yeah, I, I I think in in older versions of the manual of the planes, you you could have things like fast time or or slow time or uh, reverse time even. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think the third edition manual of the planes even even had the elemental plane of time. Yeah, and thinking back, I'm pretty sure that the fourth edition manual of the planes had some discussion of time flowing at different rates being one of the traits that a plane might have, but there was. It's not. It's it's certainly not a feature of the Forgotten Realms. It's not a feature of Dragonlance. Um, True. There's, it's, there's I mean, not it's, a, it's, a it's, it's a classic. feature of Planescape. <laughs> it's a feature of Planescape, but Planescape is uh, well. The time thing is not a feature of Planescape. I don't think. I mean, Planescape is presents the outer planes as basically a monoculture, uh, and Planescape is great. Don't get me wrong, but it it. The plane, part of what makes Planescape brilliant is that it took the, those crazy outer planes and made them uh, 
seem almost pedestrian, almost mundane, because that's how they felt to the people who lived there. But that means that they had to be inhabited by people. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a dis- discussion for a whole other podcast. I, uh, Pl- Planescape was the place where uh, anybody or, or anything could be the center of the universe, and, and like d- depending on what they, they believed. And and where where you know what what you thought was 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 true, might not necessarily be true to to, to, to somebody else, and it, it it could be a matter of perspective, and 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 both things could could be true, and there was this weird sort of uh, uh, philosophies could could manifest as reality even, uh, and and Planescape was really weird. Planescape was it, really it, weird. It, but... it was far weirder than than you are. Than you are giving it credit for, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. I feel like one of the things that made Planescape weird was that a conceit of it was that if you were a planar adventurer, then all of these crazy things were happening around you all the time, and they they seemed perfectly normal to you. They took you, you took it for granted. You could go to a coffee shop, and the barista there would be an afrit, and you would just be fine with that. Um, there was no, uh, no, no sense of wonder within the context of how the players felt about how the player characters felt about things, at least in terms of the setting as a whole. Mm. I feel like I don't think anybody, um, anybody's, it, it, you know, the, the the clueless primes were the ones who were like, oh, "It's the elemental plane of air! Oh my God, look at it!" Um, the the planers were supposed to be very blasé, jaded. But that's that is just one small piece of an extremely large and complicated setting, and I don't mean to to knock Planescape because Planescape is right. certainly awesome. Right. So 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 you're you're saying that that this narrative that and and this style of of writing is 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 good for someone who's looking how to how how to bring back the wonder into into Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, because I, I would I would agree with that because I would say that one thing that this book is just dripping with is sense of wonder. You know, there's the sense of wonder when you go to Elfland, the troll has a sense of wonder when he sees pigeons. Lyrazil has a sense of wonder when she sees the stars reflected. Alviric has a sense of wonder when he sees that um, Lyrazil's crown is not one gigantic sapphire, it's uh, carved from ice. Um, it's it's full of strangeness. the The people who see weird things happen are understandably impressed by them. Um, which, in a lot of a lot of D anD D, I think, kind of takes the perspective of you know, Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. where if you're going to be impressed by stuff, it must be because your character is kind of a clueless halfling bumpkin from the you're a hobbit from the shire you're not a and uh, you're not from rivendell it's people in rivendell they know the score they're not they don't freak out when they see elves because they see elves all the time um i would i would certainly recommend reading the the passage where uh zerundril enchants the sword i would i would recommend reading uh you know all of all of Alvaric's journey through 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 the forest and and his his fights with uh, Lyrazel's uh, guardians, and and even even much later in in the book, um, 
I, I actually enjoyed Orion's uh, sword fight with the unicorn. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Just, just, and, and, <laughs> and, and I enjoyed it just because there, there's all these instances in um, Dungeons and Dragons and in, in, in MMOs like World of Warcraft where you're, you're, you're just attacking wild, you know, regular animals like, like, like bears and things with like a sword. And, and that, that, that never really seemed like how you would actually fight an, an animal in the wild. But it, it, it happens here. I mean, it, it, it happens to be a unicorn, not an actual, like a, like a bear or something, but, and they kind of sword fight with the, with the, with the, the with the unicorn's horn. But like, like that just, that just kind of amused me. Yeah. The, um, I thought it was interesting that the King of Elfland has these three runes and what he uses the runes for, he uses one to resurrect one of his servants that Alviric killed. Mm-hmm. He uses one to call Lirazel back to um, Elfland. And then he uses one to send Elfland or merge Elfland and, or, or pull Earl into Elfland or merge the two or uh, whatever exactly happens at the end is kind of unclear. Right. Um, but what's but what I thought was interesting about that is that it's, what these runes did seemed to be unspecified until such time as the Elf King decided to use them. It, it's like, like having he could three... have, he could have used those runes to do something else, but one of those runes is specified as being a lot more powerful than the other two. Right, because it, it, it's going to take more magic to pull Earl into Elfland, or vice versa. And uh, the whole time, at the you know, from the point where these these three runes are introduced, uh, Dunsany points out that one of them, the third, is the most powerful and terrible. Uh, but what exactly it does seems to be up to the Elf King. Well, it 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 really does seem like the Elf King has three wishes. Or two limited wishes and one wish would right. be, you know, for if we're, we're going to use D and D terminology, which I guess we are. Um, and 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 we we know time does pass in in Elfland because the 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 Elf King is worried about about the the future. He wants to save his his last rune for, you know, what whatever happens beyond his clairvoyant sight, um, which which is presumably f- so far far off from from our point of view that we can't even even comprehend it but um he he spends the last one to make his his daughter happy which i think is a is a good decision yeah it's i i'm pretty sure that it's a happy ending everybody seems pretty well satisfied okay well then um I'm going to say that that wraps up this discussion. Uh, it it was it was a a a great book, and I definitely recommend everyone listening to the show uh, go out and and read it. Absolutely, uh, just don't try to read it too closely. Yeah, don't read it all in one day. Just you know, let it let it let it wash over you. Don't worry too much about plot points because it'll you know it's it's uh, it, it'll, it'll it'll be fine. It'll be maybe, fine. Maybe read just like a paragraph. Like as as like a daily med- meditation or 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 something. Hmm. Okay, uh, Jeff, uh, where can where can people find you on the web? People can find me on the web at jeffwick.com, J-E-F-F-W-I-K. 
Um, as we record this, I have finished my examination of Lamort d'Arthur by Sir Thomas Mallory and moved on to um, the histories by Herodotus. So history, that's fine. History of what? Uh, the history of, well, Herodotus was the father of history. Oh. So it, mostly, it, so far, it's uh, Croesus, as in the riches of. Okay. Yeah, and Cyrus the Persian, and then we get on to Darius and Xerxes and the uh, Second Persian War. Oh, my goodness. Well, sounds like you could do your own podcast. Uh, I don't know. I would have to speak in real time, and as you know, I'm not that great at that. Oh, so your, your voice right now is, is, is recorded. Yeah, and there are all these pauses. Now, clearly, this is not my forte, Jeff. Uh, but when it's in text, I have time to edit, go back, look at what I've written. It becomes so much better, people. It is, uh, you may be listening to this and thinking, what the hell is this guy, Jeff, doing writing stuff? If you go and you read it, you'll, you'll see it is not terrible. It is good. It is worth, uh, worth reading. And if you go to uh, Amazon via my webpage, you can buy ebook versions of stuff that I've written, which, um, you know, my mother thought they were cool. Okay. Everyone listening to this show, go read Jeff's website and buy his stuff. And a big thank you once again to my guest, Jeff Wickstrom. You can find links to all his stuff in the show notes. If you like the show, please let me know. I want to hear from you. You can reach me through The Tome Show at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line. I am still working on my Lovecraftian extravaganza for the month of October. Uh, there's been some unexpected delays getting those shows uh, recorded, so some of them may come out in November, but please bear with me. Uh, here is a list of the stories I intend to cover if you want to do some advanced reading. The Doom That Came to Sarnath. From Beyond, The Temple, The Music of Eric Zahn, Herbert West Reanimator, The Lurking Fear, The Rats in the Walls, and The Call of Cthulhu. Uh, Lovecraft's works are public domain and can be found all over the web. You just have to search for them. And there are numerous amateur audio recordings of these stories up on YouTube, so I encourage you to check them out before the show. Uh, the next regular show after that, sometime in November or December, will be another of Abraham Merritt's novels, Dwellers in the Mirage. You can find a free copy on the web at Project Gutenberg Australia at www.gutenberg.net.au. Uh, if you would like to be a guest on my show, please don't hesitate to email me. I really want to get uh, more voices on the podcast because I think it makes for a more interesting discussion. And if you hear that I already have a guest, don't let that stop you. I've had some volunteers back, actually back out of shows when they heard I already had another guest. I don't quite understand uh, what, what that's all about. Uh, please, there, there, there is room for more than one guest on the show. Trust me. Okay, uh, this has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 8, The King of Elfland's Daughter by Edward John Morton Drax Plunkett. I just wanted to say that one more time. Also known as Lord Dunsany. Thanks for listening.